Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Dan Shaw Bell, a successful business author who has some cool ideas on what it takes to be a leader today. This week, I spent a couple of days at this conference in Los Angeles called Montgomery Summit. It's put on by this guy, Jamie Montgomery, who founded one of the original LA investment banks. Anyway, now he's a VC, and this conference is sold as a way for top startups, I'm talking about ones that have already raised at least a a Series A, uh, to meet investors. But really what the conference amounts to is a networking opportunity for a few hundred investors, ranging from late-stage PE guys to early-stage investors. They hang out, drink margaritas, eat hamburgers from the In-N-Out truck, see startup pitches, and, uh, and that's basically it. It's at the Fairmont overlooking the ocean in Santa Monica, and it was a really good event for Jason and I to be at. We ate tacos with the co-founder of Lime, connected with a bunch of VCs that we know or have been on the pod, and we met some really cool founders. But the main value comes from just being around the hoop. In order to become interesting to investors, you have to be interesting to other investors. When you're there mingling, meeting people, investors start to think, hey, there's the pay club guys. Oh yeah, I I like their monthly updates. Hey, look, there's Ben from NEA laughing with them. And and then Hans walks up and Ben says, hey Hans, good to see you. Do you know Jason and Alex from pay club? Boom. That's how it works. Then from there, everyone flies to Austin for South by and the mingling continues. Jason's there now. We pitched at a FinTech breakfast on Saturday morning. So I'll let you know what happens with that soon. This is the day in the life for a startup founder. Building and shipping a product that's delightful to use, hitting user growth numbers that pop off the page, in our case, stopping fraudsters trying to steal money from us, flying all over the country, going to conferences, meeting founders and investors, and then bundling all that up into one neat little package that causes investors to say, wow, okay, that's it for me. Interview time. All right, Dan Shaw Bell from New York, big time author, um, leadership thinker, really influential guy. Happy to have you on the podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we're here today to talk about your new book. It's called Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. So just tell us what is the age of isolation and how leaders can do that? Technology has connected us like never before, but at the same time, Our overuse and misuse of it has led to loneliness, isolation, lower engagement in the workplace, 
and a, a less organizational and team commitment. Uh, so despite how great it's been for us being able to connect with people wherever they are across different countries, um, be able to reconnect with people that we love that we haven't talked to in a while at the same time, you know, people are abusing it. They're, you know, the second people, 80% of people who wake up are checking their cell phone. People tap their phone over 2,600 times a day. They look at their cell phone every 15 minutes. So we become addicted to technology and many leaders in the workplace have used it as a crutch and have used something like email in place of face-to-face communication when one face-to-face conversation is more successful than 34 emails back and forth. So we rely so much on the technology to do the work for us when the thing that really drives engagement and happiness at work and at home is true human connection. Yeah, you know, Dan, as you're talking about these things and you're saying I look at my phone every 15 minutes, I think I look at my phone every 15 seconds. But you're right, we lose sight of the importance of a face-to-face meeting. I mean, I'm sending dozens and sometimes like 50, 60 emails a day and jumping on calls and yeah, very often I don't have any face-to-face interaction at all. And you're right, on the days where I do, I go out and grab a coffee, I grab a lunch with someone. I come back, I mean, I'm I'm more tired because like I had to go do stuff actually, but I feel much more fulfilled. Yes. And chapter one in the book, Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation, is about personal and team fulfillment. Before you can help others, you must help yourself first. That's one of the main messages in that chapter. So many people are like, oh, I got to make sure my team is winning and they have the support they need. But you can't do that unless you have a clear vision and understanding of your personal needs and what's going to be driving you now and in the future. And once you have a pretty good assessment of who you are and where you're going, then you can really help those around you. It's like when you're on an airplane, you need to you know, be able to uh, fend for yourself in case the plane starts going down before you take care of those around you. And that's what they say at the beginning before takeoff, right? And if you can't help yourself, how are you supposed to help others? Um, you know, it's it's like giving advice when you don't even take your own advice. So I think it's really important that people get come to grips and lean into who they actually are so that they're able to do the same and replicate that with those around them and really inspire them. Um, So I think personal fulfillment is really key. I think a lot of people need to become more self-aware about their strengths. Uh, They need to solicit more feedback from those around them so they can see, hey, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? How can I improve? Because, you know, we live in, in a very social environment at work where, you know, you have to empathize with those around you. You have to really understand where they're coming from, you know, what their weaknesses are, what they need help with, what their needs and wants and desires are so that you can meet them where they are and support them when and where they need it. And when you do that, they're going to be more loyal. They're going to be more excited uh, to work for you longer, you know, because the average person has 11.7 jobs between 18 and 45 years old, and they're moving from one job to the next, to the next, to the next. But I think it is there is something to be said about loyalty, and loyalty is driven by trust um, and fairness. You know, if you don't pay people fair, you can be as nice as you want to them; they're going to leave. So once you get past pay, we found that the biggest you know employee benefits that you should offer are flexibility, healthcare, and learning and development. 
And that's why chapter two is about shared learning, which I, I think is an extremely valuable chapter. Instead of hoarding information as a leader or a teammate, when you learn, you share. That's the new mantra in the workplace because the average relevancy of a skill is only five years. So in order to keep up with the changing demands of the marketplace, we have to rely on each other and support each other through learning and development. Right. So everything you're talking about now is comes back to forging authentic connections, which is something we used to do, I mean, like naturally. And now you're right. We were buried in social media and Slack and, and like whatever it, whatever the technology is at work. And like, it's easy to think, oh, I, I friended that person on LinkedIn. We're connected now. I don't need to do anything. And that's, that's not the case. Like you still need to put in the work to create a real relationship with that person. Yeah, and this is this comes back to early on in my career when I was connecting with a lot of people online. Because I'm an introvert, it was easier for me to do my first handshake or hello using the online tools available to me back in 2006, 2007, 2008. But over time, I realized that those relationships weren't as strong as the ones that I could have in person. So I, I used that network I tapped into it and I said, hey, let's get coffee. Let's get lunch. Let's have a phone call. And that's how my network has been much more enhanced to date is because I've used technology in the right way as a means to human interaction. I don't just leave those relationships online. I take them offline. And it's much more powerful. It's much more meaningful uh, for, in terms of like friendships and, and in work and professional contacts. So is that your advice on, on how to do it? I mean, reaching out to people online, sending emails, that's definitely easier than just, you know, going door to door and cold talking to people. So get them online and then convert those online contacts to coffees, lunches, dinner, whatever it is, and then forge real human relationships. Exactly. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, what age you are, everyone can do this using technology the right way. I'll give you an example. The easiest example is using technology, simple technology like a Google Calendar and a few emails to schedule a meeting or a date or a conference. But when you're actually in that setting, be present. The funny thing about New York is that here there's 1.6 million people in Manhattan. Yet, if you go in the subway... You can be physically there and you can see people around you, but they're there and not there at the same time. You can feel like you're around these people, but no one simultaneously because everyone's using these technology devices. So physically, you see them, you see you know, that they're interacting, maybe they're you know, staring off into space, but they're not, they're not emotionally there. They're not really... In, in there mentally. And so I find that really fascinating. And, and that's part of what inspired the book originally was, oh my God, I'm around all these people, yet I'm around no one at the same time. Um, the other thing is, uh, in about uh, two years ago, I was interviewed for a documentary that's coming out in September called The Revolution Generation. And I was asked for two and a half hours what the biggest challenge was for people my age. And of course, I mentioned student loan crisis, global warming, war, you know, poverty. And then I, I immediately kept going to we're isolated. You know, while global warming is, warming is a threat, 
and war is obviously a big issue and poverty affects so many people, the thing that we're really going through on a day-to-day basis is isolation. It's the, it's the isolation that is increasing as more people work from home. Like I'm we're doing this podcast, I'm working from home right now, uh, and I have been for eight years. And what we found in the Virgin Pulse research study where we interviewed over 2,000 managers and employees in 10 countries was that if you work from home, you're much less likely to want a long-term career at your company because you're isolated. You don't see or hear your employees. And because people are having less, fo- fewer phone calls and sending more texts and emails, those relationships are getting weaker, so you're less loyal. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. Uh, about a third of people globally work remote always or sometimes, yet two-thirds are disengaged because of this reason. We all have the natural-born desire to build relationships and be loved. So in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, after shelter, food, the next thing you need to have is friends and love, right? Otherwise, you're not going to be self-actualized. You're not going to be able to be as productive as possible. Your needs won't be met, so you will not be fully productive. That's why this is so important, and it will always be important because we're human. Um, And that's why we have to bring our full human into the workplace because people are working longer hours than ever before. The average work week is 47 hours a week. And anytime I stand in front of a crowd of whether it's 200 or 6,000 people, I always say, you know, how many of you answer business email on vacation? And 99.999% of people say they do. Not having your cell phone is the new vacation. Because you don't feel guilty. You don't be, it's not like you, you don't have FOMO if you don't have your phone, right? The second you have your phone, you feel like you're, you could be missing out on something. You think you should be responding to email, but really you don't. And that's why in Germany, uh, the car company Daimler has a mail on holiday uh, program where if you email an employee on vacation, your email is automatically deleted to create the behavior that people need time for personal related things. And we found through other studies through my career, I've done over 40 research studies interviewing close to about 90,000 people in over 20 countries. And it's just been, it's been really interesting. We live in a culture of burnout because people are working so hard without additional pay and they're getting burned out. And that's half the reason why they leave. Half of all attrition is due to burnout. So it's a major crisis we live in. And because we're spending so much time at work, because you know we're working with people, the same people, five, six, even seven days a week, if we don't have strong work relationships, that's going to hurt our well-being and the company's bottom line. And what we found in the study was that half of all workers have five or fewer friends. About 10% of all workers worldwide have zero friends at work. Now, you know, someone could say, oh, but like you, you should have friends outside of work. Why would you want to be friends with people at work? It's because we're spending so much time at work. And if you have a bad employee experience, a bad experience with your manager, if you're unhappy with the people you work with, you will come home and that will hurt the relationships you have with your friends and family and people you interact with because you'll you'll have a negative attitude. You won't feel good about life and what you're doing because you've had such a bad work experience. So throughout my life, I think what I, I've narrowed this down to is 
hey, if I can really improve the workplace, if I can inspire people, if I can help companies create a really healthy work environment, that's going to help people's personal life because so much of our lives are spent working. Yeah, that's important. I, I used to have a work wife and I have a regular wife, but uh, I always you know like grabbing lunch or water cooler or whatever it was. So Dan, I can... I can see the movie of this. You're walking through New York, you're in color and everyone else is in black and white and like you're surrounded by people as you say, but you're not connecting with them. And as you said, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we, we crave for this connection with humans. So I totally get the problem. How do you breach the barrier? Like how do you start connecting with people in your daily life? About creating habits a habit of going into the office one day a week or two days a week or three days a week if you work remote, the habit of setting up a weekly meeting with your team that's in person or at least using video conferencing, Uh, creating these habits are really important because they force the human interaction out of you. You know, it's so fascinating. There was, uh, you know, so for, I think it was like 10 to 20 years ago, there was a study that showed that open office spaces were good and that they encourage human interaction. And so 70% of all office spaces have, are open office spaces because of that one study. There was a recent study that came out that showed the opposite of true is true, meaning that if you have an open office space, people are less likely to interact with each other. And so... And so what that means is even if you go to an office space, you could be isolated at work. So many people now, instead of going to lunch with a colleague, they'll stay at their desk eating. And so you, every time you do that, you miss out on social interaction and getting to know your team, team better. So like even if you challenge yourself to have one lunch with a colleague each week, that's something. You know, small steps before big leaps. You know, these small interactions, just asking someone to coffee or someone for, to lunch or having a conference call with the team or using video conference software to, you know, see what someone looks like if they work in a different country than you. All of these little th- these interactions add up and create and foster more engagement in a, in a healthier work environment. Yeah, Dan, I'd love to hear about how you've put this into into practice in your life. I mean, your book's been endorsed by some pretty incredible business leaders. You know, have you have you had lunch with them? Like, what's your what what does your life look like? For the book, I interviewed a hundred of the top young leaders at a hundred of the best companies in the world: Johnson and Johnson, Uber, Facebook, you know, Google, you know, GE, you name it. And it took about 850 interactions with some people not wanting to do it, you know, getting uh, companies to approve of the interviews and the use of their names and actually doing the interviews. It was a ton of work. I committed to it. I wanted to do it. It took me three and a half months and a ton of, ton of effort. Now, what I did was I first established a Facebook group so this 100, these 100 individuals could interact with each other. But then I leveraged the Facebook group in order to create more human interactions. So I did meetups all around the country with them uh, at hosted offices. And then I brought them all on book tour. So when I go to speak at a conference, I speak and then I moderate a panel with two, three or four of them. So I make, I, I use them to create the whole book experience through their words. 
So the audience sees, oh, wow, like they're, these individuals are living this on a daily basis and here's what they're doing about it. Um, so that's one way I've gone back to human in, in my life. In terms of how I built a network, I help people out without asking for anything in return. I add as much value as possible to other people's lives. And then if I need help, eventually a percentage will want to help me, but I'm not, I'm not resentful when someone doesn't. And what I'm starting to do now, because I have such a vast network, I've interviewed over 2,000 of the world's most successful people since I graduated college uh, like over 10 years ago. I will walk into a meeting with a successful person and I'll ask them, who are the top two people that you would like to meet? And then either during the meeting or out, after the meeting, I introduce them to those people. So people want instant gratification. They want things to happen immediately. But most people, when they network, they make false promises. They say they're going to help, and then you never hear from them again. So I know this. I've been doing this for over a decade. And I, I see the opportunity with a, a, a large network is to help people out immediately and add immediate value because they'll never forget you did that. Yeah, I'm Dan. I mean, I'm raising capital for a business right now, and I can't tell you how many incredible meetings we have, and we leave them, and we're all fired up, and we're gonna introduce us to this person and that person, and they're gonna do this, and literally none of that stuff ever happens. And we follow up, and we follow up, and it's like, well, you said you were gonna do this. Why aren't you doing this? Uh, and you know that really differentiates the I, we, we call them doers and don'ters, and the doers do all these things they say, and the people who don't, they you know they don't. Yeah. And for me, I know I want to do this for the rest of my life. So it's very easy for me to make these type of decisions. You know, it's very easy for me to speak for free still. It's very easy for me to do so in a favor. Uh, it's very easy to introduce two people together. It's easy for me to, you know, put out another podcast. I've done eight episodes of five questions with Dan Chabelle. Um, it's easy for me to do all this stuff because I want to do it forever. Right, so I'm always playing the long game. I've written thousands of articles, a few thousand interviews. I've published dozens of research studies. For me, I I just want to be kind of a reservoir of content that's valuable to people in my industry and beyond my industry, um, but also make an impact through video, images, audio, and my network that I'm leveraging in order to inspire others to achieve their own goals and dreams. And I'm trying to do it in the most human way. So here's another example. You know, back in the day, my interviews were, you know, somewhere through email, somewhere phone calls. And now I am pushing myself to do more in-person interviews. So I did like one with Richard Branson in person. I'm, I'm doing several like to even today in person. And so I'm, I'm, as an introvert, I'm, I always try and push myself into uncomfortable situations. I'll give you a great example. The best way to meet people at a networking event is not to go with a friend. If you go alone, you have no choice but to meet people. Otherwise, you're going to have a, a really horrible night. Uh, so I think making yourself uncomfortable is a good way to enhance your network, to challenge yourself, and to grow as a person. I love it. Uh, Dan, let's get into the the last kind of piece of this podcast here is the advice section. Your career is so focused. You have this great plan of how to go execute on what you want and how to network. I'd love to hear you know, your thoughts for someone who's early in their career, hasn't quite 
figured out their place in the world yet. What do you tell someone like that? Uh, finding, you know, their place in the world of working hard of what they should be doing. It's a question I think I've been asked more of than any other question. And it's always the same answer. You have to do as much as you can as early as possible in order to narrow down what you want to do and what you don't want to do, which is almost as important. The more you experience, the more you meet people, the more work you do and projects that you manage, the more you learn about yourself and who you are. And only then can you make a good decision based on that data that could lead to a long-term career that you aspire to have. If you don't do that, if you aren't willing to try a lot of things, like how are you supposed to know if you don't like sweet potato unless you try a sweet potato? I love sweet potatoes. That's why I bring it up. Uh, how do you know you don't like to play tennis unless you've picked up a racket? You don't know unless you try. And so I think you just try a lot of things. And when something clicks, lean into that. And then over time, that will become, that could become something else. It could become a business. It could become a passion project. It's debatable what that could become. But if, unless you try, if you don't try, you will never know what's possible. And so for me, it's, I've always like, you know, I've always followed my energy and my passion at the same time. If something's working, I, I quadruple down on it. If something's not, I don't put any more effort into it. But I also, I'm willing, if I'm really into something, I'm willing to do it for 50 years, right? Because again, I want to be in the industry forever and I know my potential because I've been doing this for long enough where I, I kind of see what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. And I've really, I've really uh, self-analyzed myself and I know what environments where that I thrive in. For instance, I'm much better at a small gather with a small gathering of friends at dinner than I am at a big party with a hundred people. Yeah. Well, Dan, it's awesome that you're able to find out so much about yourself. It's, I love the advice of just getting out there and trying, doing, applying yourself. This was fun speaking with you. Um, the book was great and, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. Let me know what you think. Leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about this podcast. Thanks.